Oh yeah, I got it. All right, hello and welcome uh, to another wonderful week. Uh, it, it's Christmas, all right? So like, Yay! we're excited. This is why we do what we do. Mm-hmm. And we're gonna be talking about how John the Baptist was the one pointing uh, to Jesus. And hopefully we'll use this time to point uh, all of y'all to Jesus as well this week, if we do things right. I think it would be good for us to start. Uh, Becky and I both are from uh, West Kentucky. I'm about 15 miles north of Mayfield, and she's um, 10, 15 miles away from other uh, cities. Yeah. Just absolutely lost everything, um, homes and jobs, and um, it's just a terrible time for for many people. So we at least want to um, mention that. Also, there was, you know, I think last count, what, 60 some 70 people confirmed dead from the storms. Is that what it was? I think. Yeah, 70 climbing to 80, I think, last I heard. Um, but y'all have probably seen the pictures on the news and different various things. Um, Mayfield gets a lot of the coverage because there was a lot more people in Mayfield. But uh, over in Becky's neck of the woods, there were small towns that were completely devastated as well. And and uh, they face pretty much probably not building back because it was already an economically depressed area and people were staying there because it was their home place and there's no home now. So um, that's a reality that we have. So I think we'll start then just uh, praying for those things and then we'll get into our lesson. Uh, Gracious God, we do give you thanks that you are the creator. You're on the throne. No matter what happens down here below uh, and to us, you have promised um, that you are with us, Emmanuel. You will never leave nor forsake us. And so at this time, uh, we bring our prayers to you, and we ask that you would be with those who have lost so much on this earth, and that you would inspire your church to be a helping hand, to be your hands and feet in this world, to uh, display grace both in our prayers, in our speech, but also in our actions when we can. Uh, so dear Lord, I pray that um, that uh, hearts that are hurting, uh, you'll heal. There is a balm as the song says in Gilead. So heal our souls and, and, and help us to be light in the world. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Also, I should also mention Bowling Green. Lots of the Bowling Green churches. Yeah, are yeah a lot of people died in Bowling Green. So um, as we go through this um, lesson, uh, it's the i don't know the temporary things i mean they're important right i mean it's one thing to dismiss these worldly concerns as we call them but it's our homes and families and friends and so one of the great promises is found uh, in the gospel of john that god is with us and god became flesh and dwelt among us and and so uh, we have the promises that god has made are yes in jesus christ so um, with that being said, we're going to get into our lesson number four for this quarter. It's December 26th. Uh, it's John the Baptist. We're introduced to a pretty important person in the story. And we've entitled the lesson, A Voice Crying in the Wilderness. And our scripture selection is John 1, 19 through 34. Our prayer for illumination. God, you reveal yourself to us through the scriptures, your prophets, and ultimately in your son, Jesus Christ. Send your spirit to us today as we study the scriptures and hear about your son from John the Baptist. He pointed the way to Jesus. Let us see Jesus in our lesson today. Amen. Amen. And our memory verse from John chapter 1, verse 23. He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. All right. So now we get into our introduction here and our reflection question. I wanted to um pull one up here it says think back over the last few weeks and see if you can remember one event where the season seems special and i'll just stop so it was actually the day of the tornado or the night before or the day after i should say it was saturday we went to the paducah symphony orchestra and uh, so when you're a preacher sometimes you got an advantage because you know you get to like study and meditate and pray because that's what you're paid to do but then other times it kind of becomes a job because you also got deadlines and you got to study so that you can write something so that you can produce. Something. And I was in that and I was feeling pretty dry that the Paducah symphony had their uh, Christmas, um, you know, pop show pretty much is what it was, but there were two or three um, choral arrangements of some old hymns, Christmas carols that 
struck me to the heart and and in a 10-15 minute time I was back to to eagerly desiring the the celebration of Christmas for the right reason so wanted to pass that on that was probably the best Paducah Symphony Orchestra I've been to in 10 years they they hit it they did it right or maybe it was just me needing something and God ministering to me I don't know but that was one I I had music does that to me on occasion yes music can speak loudly what about you has there been anything in the last Mm -hmm. you've had some new things happening in your life I've had a lot of new things happen in my life um but especially in light of the tornado the tornado here in Madisonville Kentucky went just four miles less than four miles to my south um and that whole evening was spent with my husband, um, thankfully watching our wonderful meteorologists who were keeping us as informed as they possibly could. Thank you, Trent Okerson, if you're watching this. I doubt it, but just in case. <laughs> um, who was who keeping us as well as formed as they could. And so we had already stuffed um, my, my daughter, my daughter-in-law, my son, and the two babies in the basement. And my husband and I were sitting upstairs preparing because we knew it was coming. And if it wasn't coming straight for us, it was going to be close. And, um, you know, after you come out of that, and I have a lot of acquaintances here in this community that have been hurt. I also work for the sheriff's department this time of year. And so all of our officers obviously have been heavily involved in the recovery and, and just trying to do the best that they can to pull people from the rubble. The first couple of days they were out doing search and rescue um, and you can see it on their faces and you can hear it in the voices. And I've seen some of the body cam footage um, where they've pulled children from the rubble, thankfully alive. Um, and man, that there's just something about that that makes you realize that it's the people. It's not the things, it's not the stuff you hang on the walls, it's not all the extra. It's, it's the people in your life that make things special and make this time of year even more special. So, yeah. It is a season of hope. Yes. For sure. Um, and, and, you know, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm doing a preacher thing and going back. It, we, we talked about exile uh, last couple of weeks and about how yeah. we may not ever experience exile the way they did. Um, but oftentimes God uses physical things or through physical things. I'm, I'm not going to get in a theological debate on what God does or does not do and in, in natural right. disasters, but, um, it is oftentimes the physical things that happen that jolt us back into God's reality. And I think that's yeah. something that, that, uh, at least it poses the question, uh, what's important and, and what is important. And I'm glad in some sense that we have these lessons that we were reminded that God, is is the ultimate healer and um so yeah um absolutely very good so in this introduction oh go ahead i think kip through the introduction he really makes that apparent though as we read through of what what is important this time of year what is important at christmas um you know we live in a culture where we have we are so materialistic and so consumer-minded that the importance of Christmas is to give anything and everything to your loved ones that they've ever wanted, needed, or desired, you know, and how many people do you know, um, go into debt every year to see to the, these physical wants and needs of whoever this person is, be it a spouse, children, grandchildren, whatever. Um, but then we forget that the real reason for the season is, is, is Jesus. I mean, it's about celebrating the birth of the savior. It's not about having the latest gimmick thing that, you know, I don't know if your kids were like mine, but like, if I got them something they really wanted half the time, the box was more interesting than the thing, (laughs) you know, when they were small, but then as they got older, a month down the road, they don't even remember what you bought for Christmas, you know? I mean, so yeah, so I don't know. It happens, and and when me and Amy first got married, you know, we probably went overboard on Christmas spending all that kind of stuff. And I looked at like bills and things. <laughs> so, Ten years ago, whatever it was, I told her, "Look, we're spending a thousand dollars. 
on our kids. And we got three kids. So I was like, each one of them gets something worth or cash of $333.33. Right. And that is it. That is all we're doing. Uh, yeah. Which, you know, still pretty good. But I just remember saying 333 33 That's all everybody gets. Um, yeah we still do that to this day we haven't adjusted for inflation (laughs) (laughs) it's still this is the cap we're done at this point we're We're, we're done at this point Um, something that I did several years ago that I just wanted to share with everybody my family keeps expanding which most families do but my family um we were a very small nuclear family growing up and so there was just a small group of us but as we've gotten older and my siblings and I have gotten married and then had children and now my children have had children, we just keep kind of, you know, expanding. So several years ago, um, my family decided we weren't going to give gifts anymore to each other as the adults, just the, the children would get gifts. Um, and I decided because I'm the one who lives far away from the rest of my family, all of my siblings live very close proximity to my parents, but I'm the one who, who moved away. So I only get to see them like once or twice a year. So what I've done is at Christmas time when we gather together is I usually have a couple of craft things, two or three different craft things that I do with my nieces and nephews. And so instead of, instead of buying them something, we make something together because as I've gotten older and wiser, I recognize it's not the thing, it's the memory. And so they have made these memories of making whatever it is that we've made this year with me. And so it's our memory of being together and this time together. And it's not about the thing necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that, that has become, even as my nieces and nephews have gotten older, I'm like, I don't know if they really <laughs> like doing this stuff anymore, but that's the one thing my mom tells me all the time is the kids talk about when they visit, mm-hmm. um, is how much they appreciate the time that they get to spend together with the family. So that's, what's important. I think I can use that as a headway into when we're introduced to this passage, the topic of conversation is who are you, right? Like people come to John and ask who you are and all all this good stuff. Yeah. Um, And so Kip asked us that question, um, the simple question of who are, who are you, right? And so what you're talking about, I think is, is a gift of Christmas is that in, in the birth of Christ, we find out who we are and we're beloved children to God. When we give time to people, we allow other people to discover who we are. We discover who other people are. And, and again, like we, we referenced with these tornadoes and things that um, when it's all stripped away, the people in your life are meaningful. And that's yeah. the thing that um, you really want to encourage. You want to encourage, you want your children or your family members to become all that God's created them to be, you know? And, and so yeah. it is kind of neat that we can think of it in these terms, Kip captures that um, when he says the advent of Christ sets in motion the greatest gift ever offered and we are beneficiaries of that gift who are you you're a child of God and that gift is more significant than any wrapped package under the tree it just it just doesn't come with a lot of bells and whistles and noisemakers in fact it comes with the responsibilities and challenges which again I think that's a good way to good way to think about it um, yes absolutely so um so that's it. That's our introduction. It's, it's, they, they're asking John, who are you? And I think that as the lesson progresses, we can ask ourselves that same question. Who, yeah. who, are we? who are we? Um, so I think that's a good way. You got anything else on that introduction? No, I think that was great. All right. Then we'll do the exploring the scripture, the historical and contextual setting. Um, so last week uh, we said that the gospel of John was written somewhere on the 75 to 90 AD um timeline uh and so i bring that up for a couple reasons this just remember the gospel of john was written after you know a lot of a lot if not most or all of paul's writings paul's writings were in circulation too at that point in time and so um i would i would say that a lot of what we read in john um is is um it's not divorced. I don't think you can divorce it from the theology of Paul, like some people might try to do when they separate Pauline theology from Johannine theology. I think you got to take it all with, I mean, all of these are written and it forms a core theology, a biblical theology. Uh And so that's where I think I'm going to start this. Um, 
And one of the reasons is because as John's writing, especially even here um, in this passage, Kip brings up, there's this battle about whether Jesus is just human or whether Jesus is only divine. And he's just, you know, because right. at that point in time with Gnosticism, uh, there was, you know, Christian groups that were thinking, well, I should say groups within the Christian faith that were, were thinking that, you know, basically Jesus' body was just an illusion. Like this was right. just God. And so, so I, I say all that to say that John is writing, you know, not just as a quote unquote historical eyewitness, John is also writing to solidify theology for this local, for these, for these local Christian churches, because, you know, even if it's written in 75, you're still talking about 35 years, 30, 40 years after the death of Christ. This is still brand yeah. new. Uh, we yeah, didn't have internet or Twitter back then, so it yeah. <laughs> grow organically. Uh, yeah. So anyway, that's where I'll start, and I'll let you uh, throw in some stuff there. I think this is something that we still struggle with today, is the idea of, of Jesus being fully human, but fully divine, because you know, we don't like to think about the humanness of Jesus. We like to talk about the divinity of Christ, but there was also that human element, you know, he was a baby, which means he had to learn how to sit up and walk and, and talk and, and all of the things that go along with, with being a baby. I think I brought up in a, a sermon a couple of weeks ago. One of the things I would love to ask Mary is what was Jesus's favorite food? You know, what, what did he like to eat? What dish at the, at the holiday seasons did he request that you made every year? You know, cause those, that is the human, the humanness of it. And we need to remind ourselves that yes, he was fully divine, but yes, he was human. Yeah. Absolutely. Human. Think about. Uh, it, it's hard. Yeah. I, the only way that I can describe it, uh, the illustration is like, I, I grew up forever. I didn't idolize my parents, but when you're younger, your parents just know everything. And you have this ideal in your mind that they just, and they're always going to be there. They're always going to take care of you. But then as you grow up, they get older and they can't. And it's, it's, it's somewhat, you know, it's just, you, it's hard to deal with the fact that there's this divine savior that also had to go to the bathroom. Right. It's yeah. But what Christianity Absolutely. does is it forces us into this earthly still we're struggling here and, and we have, anyway, it's, it's very tough. Um, that idea is pretty hard. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, you know, like John brings it out for a reason. Like the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Like we said, I mean, there's yeah. something that we can't just let go of. Um, mm-hmm. So also in here, uh, the cool thing about John is very early, he doesn't have a Messiah complex. Good for John. Um, John could have capitalized on all kinds of that. I mean, if people were coming to me and saying, are you the Messiah? Like, no, but we're friends. <laughs> you know, I mean, you'd be tempted. You'd be tempted to, you know, if you weren't sure. being honest or if you weren't being authentic, you could get caught up real quick in fame oh. and, and your influence. But John was yeah. awesome in this sense. Like um, he had no worry or care. He, he had a distinct, um, uh, purpose vision in his mind that he he was here to do a job and so when they asked him are you this no are you this no right like um i am not i think that's pretty important um it is you know there's an old saying that says power corrupts but absolute power corrupts absolutely yeah. and and this is a great point that if you are so focused on the path that God has laid for you and understand what it is that you're supposed to be doing that, that he wasn't corrupted. He didn't take advantage of, or he didn't um, say, yeah, you know, mm, yeah, sure. I am, (laughs) you Um, know, and take advantage of the situation. Yeah. And that helps me when I think about, um, you know, the other gospels where uh, Jesus says there's not been, born of a woman one greater than john and and i think yeah because he had every opportunity to uh manipulate and and sure. to do it, but he didn't he just submitted he himself did. to god and that's pretty amazing yeah. um so the other thing that that makes me think is in a real sense though since christ is risen you know uh in a real sense we as individuals we we take the place of john the baptist in in, in many ways we prepare uh the way of the lord and then mm-hmm. if you view it from a big perspective that's exactly what the church is we we are those people who um 
Well, the church is the person or the, is, is the, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, the organization which prepares the way for, for God. Yeah. And, and then you can see how easy he gets off track. Like what if the church, if we say the church in general had the same attitude as John the Baptist and we weren't worried about power or influence or making sure, you know, our political right, yeah. figures were in place or if we had to win some theological argument, but if we were just really humble and, and just said, you know, we're preparing the way for the Lord. Mm-hmm. I mean, like if we did that as individuals, but also as a church and we were about uh, submitting to God and his purposes, like it'd make a difference. Wow. It would. It would make a difference. Well, it totally would make a difference if the church would look at itself as the voice of crying, crying in the out wilderness. of mm-hmm. crying in the wilderness. If the church could understand that that was the purpose is to cry out in the wilderness and point the way to Jesus. And then, the, wow. Like, yeah. When it says make a straight path, think of the things that we could do, those mercy ministries or those those things in which by grace we offer a path to God. Like we mm-hmm. make a straight path for someone who is sinful to become righteous in, in Christ. Like it's not easy changing. It's not easy coming no. to church with a new reality. And so we as a church no. then, or as people, we reflect as John the Baptist, a way. We help people make a way to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Pretty important, I think. Mm. Wow. God. So I'm going to ask you a question. As a so it's easy. So we say that and it rolls off the tongue. We prepare, we prepare a way for the Lord. What does that mean? Right. <laughs> that, okay. Easy question, difficult answer. Right. Nice. Like in the best I can yeah. do is what I just said, just like we we stand in a way to to lead people. But what yeah. like uh I think uh Kip uses the word hype man. Yes. Right. Yeah, that's exactly I mean that's but that's exactly what preparing the way for the Lord should be is it's not about us as an individual. It's not about us as a church. It's not about who has the most people or who has the biggest bank account, or it's about pointing the way to Jesus Christ. And everything that we do, everything that we say should be preparing that pathway for, look, here's a risen savior. This is the person that, this is the God that we serve. This is who we serve. Is Is this amazing god the creator of the world um and it's not about anything to do with us which i think is what john was trying to do because he didn't have that like you said he didn't have that messiah complex it wasn't about him it wasn't about what um he wore or or the sandals on his feet or how much money he had in his pocket it was it was about jesus so it was all about jesus like I was blessed with a cool ministry at the Margaret Hank church. And there wasn't like a week that went by that I didn't have. And I don't say this demeaningly that I didn't have a prostitute or uh, somebody that was just out of jail or an addict or homeless person somehow just always found their way to me. Like it always happened. So that's the context by which I say, what does it mean to prepare a way for the Lord? Like if there's a path, okay. So a path comes with in some sense as a church, we bring Christ to people. Yep. But then we also use the words, bring others to Christ. Yep. What does it look like? And when you're praying with a prostitute, I think it looks, I think it looks different because you're not going to, you're not going to introduce, you know, and that's, that's a great question because now I'm really, really pondering this. I think it looks different for every person that you introduce Jesus to or bring the words to Christ to. Because you're not going to speak to and share the gospel in the same manner with a prostitute as you are with the CEO of the company that comes in and says, hey, I know I'm way off base and I'd like to know more about Jesus. You meet them right where they are. I think that's that's the big thing. You meet this person right where they are, right, right as they are, and offer this beautiful gift of grace that Jesus offers all of us, no matter what your past is, no matter what you've done, no matter what, you know, you just, this is the gift of grace. This is Jesus. And yeah, so, he wants to have this relationship with you. So I think but how you build that with different people is, is going to look differently. Yeah. Because like, okay, so Jesus was really kind and graceful. Like he, yeah. without sin, you know, throw the first stone. John the Baptist, however, is like, you're all going to hell. Yeah. <laughs> like he, he was not, 
he was not a grace-filled person as no. presented in the gospels it was like you know the roman soldiers what can must i do to be saved and be like don't be terrible or like some <laughs> of the other what must i do don't be terrible you bring don't a bike right so yeah. like, i guess so I guess in that sense, yeah, you meet people where they are, but then we're also blessed. Like John the Baptist had a certain personality. He was, mm-hmm. he was grown up in certain ways. And it goes, I think back to that question, then who are you? Like Becky, you're going to minister to somebody a whole lot different than I am for sure. Like sure. our vocabulary is different. Our demeanors are different. And, and I think some of the gifts then that we're, we're trying to get is, you know, what, what graces, what gifts have God given us? And then we, we don't use those gifts and graces to become our own messiahs or to become great in our own eyes. But like John the Baptist, how can we use these things, these gifts of family and great gifts of, of talents to, to show Christ? I think that is, mm-hmm. yeah, it was a GA theme. Well, how many ever years ago? Uh, what was it? Meet. What was it? Mm-hmm. There was one. It was like, you know, yeah. people where they you, are. That. It's there somewhere. That's going to be your job from here on out <laughs> to remember these things. Thanks. Um, so that was kind of the discussion question here is in what ways have you paved the way for Jesus? So I think we've kind of gone, gone through that. Um, but you got anything else in, in that section that might be helpful? Or that... um, he, you know, Kip points out in here, he says he often wonders if we would have believed him today. Him being John the Baptist. Yeah, I don't know. Him being John the Baptist. Yeah. That's a, that's a great, that's a great thought. Cause I don't know. I mean, we, we struggle so much with just paving the way for Christ ourselves. I think often that would we have believed, I mean, I'm thankful I've had the people in my life that I've had that have shared Jesus with me. Um, but it was still struggle. Yeah. I mean, I like, I didn't become a Christian until I was 19, uh, you know, and my mom yeah. certainly was a John the Baptist and, and my friends certainly were. I don't, <laughs> what changed. Um, I don't know what changed when I was 19 other than the conviction right. of the Holy spirit. Um, but even now today, I guess in a, in a lot of ways, I I'm fine. Like I'm like the people who are asked the John the Baptist, who are you? So like, I've been in this ministry thing now for 15, 16 years. And when I hear a sermon, Sometimes I stop and think, well, who, who's preaching it? Where are they from? Mm. What kind of theology of the end times do they have? What do they think about the gifts of the spirit? Are they Baptists? Like I go through this whole thing in my mind before I decide to trust these people. And I don't know if that's good. I'm not saying that's good, mm-hmm. but, I, but I, I can see where um, sure. uh, Kip's getting this question. Like, I guess, I don't know. I, I guess I get it is what I'm saying. Like, yeah. It is still a struggle for me. So I don't know. It was a struggle before I was a Christian. It's still a struggle now. Like, because in some sense you have to just commit to the person who's, and maybe that's, maybe that's it. Maybe that's what it means to, to create a path for God. Maybe it's that in that relationship, you're, you're shown who you are as a child of God or as a John the Baptist type that you care about these people. Like even when John's condemning everybody <laughs> to hell I and mean, he's doing it out of love and there's an authenticity there that, Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. I don't know. That's a great, that's a great thought too. Uh, hmm. All right. If you're good with it, let's go on to the digging deeper. Yeah. Uh, Cause I think what you were just saying really, really kind of jumps into the digging deeper where um, Kip's talking about how they were vetting the source. Right. You all know, right. I'm always good at running ahead. <laughs> are you, are you Elijah? Are you the Messiah? Are you, who, who exactly are you? They're asking all these, these questions, trying to figure out who John the Baptist really is. Um, trying to give, as Kip says, trying to determine who gave him the authority to say things like that. And I think that's what you were asking is when we listen to someone else, we're vetting that source too. What, what theology do you have? What what exactly do you believe? What denomination do you come from? You know, yeah, the, so we're we're doing the same thing. Yeah, the other thing I do is when I'm reading a book, I'm gonna see the, who the publisher is first. Like that's my ah. first step. Who publishes this book? Okay, that tells you a lot, right? Like, yeah, um, that'll be pretty close to telling you where they're coming from, and then I'll then I go on to the person and try to figure out who they are before I start reading a book. Um, sure. 
So I got written on here, like we, we've already, I, I want to bring it up one more time. I think one of the greatest, uh, it's not in the gospel of John, but it is in the other gospels where, you know, some of John's, I don't think it's in the gospel of John. I can't remember right now, but some of John's disciples says, Hey, you know, Jesus' disciples are baptizing people. And then, and then John says, it's just cool. Like I must decrease and he must increase. Yeah. And, and, and I've got written in here, everybody, you know, so everybody wants to be the Messiah. Every, you know, these people who are powerful, but nobody's like, I want to be John the Baptist. Nobody wants to be second place. <laughs> I don't know why, but John had this just amazing attitude. Um, yeah. He must increase. I must decrease. That's so yeah. hard. So hard. It really is. I, part of it is because we live in a culture of individualism. You know, we are not a collectivist culture. We are in an individualistic culture and, and you have to be, everything that's in our culture tells us you have to be the best. You have to be number one. Don't ever settle for being number two. And so the whole concept of, of John the Baptist being okay with being in the position that he is in life, it to us is like, how, 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 how do you do that? Because that's not, that's not part of our culture. That's not what we're taught. That's not how we think. Yeah. Um, You brought it up. And before we, that I'll let you bring it. So on page 27, kind of that first paragraph, last verse. Yeah. um, It says Kip wrote, it's that you almost have this sense of them breathing a sigh of relief. when John says that he is not the Messiah. He is not, that's, that's not who I am. And then he reaches back into their own book and he tells them that he is the one preparing the way for the one. And what an awesome declaration that John the Baptist comes to them with when they keep asking him, who are you? Are, are you Elijah? Are you the Messiah? Are you the prophet? Who are you? And he's like, listen. I am not any of these, but I am preparing the way for the one who is to come. Yeah. Um, so I did want to take um, on this uh, last paragraph before the learning from the scripture section. So it's the last paragraph, the digging deeper section. Um, we talked about theories of atonement quite a bit on, mm-hmm. on this podcast. And I think it's important, right? So like, what I've come to find out in my life is when it comes to the theories of atonement, I don't subscribe to one. I think I subscribe to them all because I think all of them build together the correct picture of Christ. Um, uh, Kip writes in here. Um, so John the Baptist sees Jesus and he says, behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And then Kip writes, uh, but one must be careful to notice that none of these Old Testament passages have sin as a caveat for using the lamb. He's talking specifically about a Passover, the Passover feast. And then he goes on to say, so while it may trigger the idea, the early church is responsible for linking this idea with communion. For example, Paul writes, clean out the old yeast so that you may, so, so that you may be a new batch as you really are unleavened for our Paschal lamb, Christ has been sacrificed. So, um, again, remember this is written and John, one of John's purposes is writing to correct bad theology, which would be uh-huh. uh, like only believing Christ is human or only believing Christ is divine. Instead, John uh-huh. is making sure that from the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh. Yeah. By the time that John's writing this, this basic theology, I believe has already been written. Like Paul's ideas have already been in. And this to me, when, when John connects the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world uh-huh. explicitly with the sacrifice of the Passover Lamb, I think that we're pretty safe in saying that um, there was some transaction, like the death of Christ, Christ was tr- a transaction in some way. Because Christ uh-huh. died, sin is gone. Because Christ uh-huh. died, we live. Uh-huh. And so I don't know how you do that, but I want to make sure that uh, I think. Uh, at least there's a lot of theories of atonement that that are true and i think when you pack them all together is when you really start to understand the atonement of christ or the reason for Uh christ don't Uh exclude one incorporate them all together because it's an um, like the word becoming flesh is amazing but like rising from the grave so that we might live 
equally amazing. So there you go. Awesome. And I think you said that John was was the one that the the Last Supper was explicitly connected to the Passover. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, stick around. So there's a uh, there's a lesson in the Spring Encounter written by yours truly that uh, talks about uh, how John specifically connects Jesus Christ as a sacrificial lamb, like whether it's Passover or whatever. But he does do that um, very intentionally. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, um, so yeah, I just wanted to bring that up with comparing scripture with scripture. I, I do think it's a healthy thing to think about all the atonement theories and how each of them, it's almost the layers of an onion as our ogre. Would yeah. Say. What's, yeah. What's, what's the ogre? Shrek. Shrek, as Shrek would say, the Shrek. atonement's like an onion. Yeah. <laughs> Many layers. 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 <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, That's awesome. So, um, and, and then again, I think that there's a sense in which you're okay to be questioning of these things and not understanding these things. They're big. And so like, yeah. That's what John the Baptist was doing too. Like the Pharisees and other people came to him, you know, depending on their attitude, not everybody was a jerk. I'm sure. I'm sure people came to John the Baptist to understand who Christ was because that's part of preparing the way. And so mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We, we study and we, you know, do these things. So. And I think that's important for people to understand now, because too many times I think people come to church with the understanding that they should already know all of this and have this wonderful, amazing grasp on the scripture. And that's not true. You, you learn as you age, as you read, as you study, you're going to see things differently. You're going to understand it deeper. And so it's okay to come to the table with questions. It's okay to come to the table and say, you know, I don't really understand what exactly is going on here, but I want to learn more. And, and I'm giving you permission now, if you're listening, that it's okay to have questions. Absolutely. That's, that's perfectly acceptable. To have and it's perfectly okay. acceptable to disagree with an encounter writer on some subject yes. and make it a discussion in your class, yes, it whether is. it's it me writing or Kip or Becky or whoever. Like, yes. uh, I mean, it, it's good. That's how we learn. Um, yes. So. You got anything else on the digging deeper part? I don't think so. I think uh-huh. that was good. So the learning from the scripture, the witness of the church, uh, I will, um, I, I got a couple things on here, but it's not till later. So if you have something to share, I'm going to let you share your stuff first. On that. I really liked how Kip asked who, about who people are. And, and we talked about that at the beginning. It's, it's important for us to th- understand who we are, but it's also equally important for us to understand who we are not. Um, and first impressions are a big thing. If you do any kind of business class whatsoever, they tell you that you have about the first 10 seconds of any conversation to make your first impression. Um, and that will form the speaker that you're speaking to, the person that's listening. They will already have an opinion informed of you about the way you present yourself, the way you look, the way you talk. Um, the kind of words that you use, the way you smell, you have about first, you have about 10 seconds to make this, this first impression about who you are as a person. Um, so it's interesting that he's talking about this in the beginning, because that's exactly what the leaders were doing. Who are you? Are you this prophet? Are you Elijah? Are you the Messiah? Who are you? And, and of course, we know from other accounts of what John the Baptist looked like, <laughs> We don't get that from John, but we get that from the other gospels and um, that John was dressed in camel hair and he ate locusts and honey and he lived in the desert. He was just this kind of wild looking guy. So I can only imagine the, the, the city Pharisees, the city leaders who are, you know, in their nice robes, nice robes. And, I get robe yep, envy sometimes. That's right. You know, they're coming out going, who are you? <laughs> who are who is this guy out here but he introduces himself by saying first of all who he's not yeah. he is he is not the messiah he, he is not the prophet he is he is the one crying out in the wilderness preparing the way yeah so like as, as i was reading that i was thinking with like i remember but you know all of my children i'm pretty sure your kids i think every kid goes through this part of growing up is learning who you are right mm-hmm. 
and part of leaving the nest is discovering and part of adolescence is getting away from your parents so that you can, you know, experiment and figure out. But I remember every single one of my my kids went through this um, and I went through this and I can point to specific times in my life where it was better or worse, but it's peer pressure in the sense of you try to be something you're not to make other people happy. And so I I think part of humility and then just having a good self-esteem or or good, you know, self-knowledge is to say, yeah, that ain't me. Like, right. Like you just come to realization. Yeah, no, that's not me. Uh, And then the, yeah. yeah. And then the flip side of that is building something. So like John, the Baptist, we've said submitted himself to God Mm -hmm. and he didn't try to be anything. And so he, I'm sure in your, in your attempt to, I wrote down here, a lot of times, you know, we, we get fed this thing, like be who you are, like, and, and I think, you know, really, you don't, you don't really, you form yourself. Like you can't find your identity. You more so form it, I guess. Like if if you're a child of God and God has given you these certain personalities, certain gifts, certain places to live. I mean, like take all that. How do you serve God? Like, this is what, this is who you are, whatever it means to serve God as a child. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I agree. And I think it's shaped, like you said, in our, in our adolescent, our, our, well, not just adolescence. So I don't think. Oh, midlife crisis. Yeah. You know, (laughs) and just maturing in your faith, you understand who you are not and who you are and what God has, has called you to, um, you know, being more comfortable and confident in who you are also helps you form who you are not, because you know, this, this is what God's called me to. This is who God has asked me to be. And this is the path that he's laid out for me. Not this over here. You know, that's not me. Just keeping in the book of John and we'll probably pick it up later. And, but like Nicodemus coming to Jesus by night, Mm. he had a certain Mm. understanding of himself. He had a certain standing in his society and in culture and whatnot. And so to, to, to maybe flip and come to Jesus as a disciple by day, he would have to say, I'm not what they are, but I am. Yeah. What, and that is so hard. And yeah. Again, and think about the peer pressure that he would have suffered mm-hmm. by saying, I am not part of this group anymore that, you know, that this is not who I am, that this is truly who I am, man, that, that has, to, that's tough. That's tough. And so then I think in the bottom of page 28, um, last paragraph maybe we should learn from john the baptist by calling attention to jesus and then saying to all who are within hearing distance hey look god is in our midst the holy spirit is at work within us and through us and for us and even despite us behold the lamb of god i I think the only way that you can get past who you're not is to have a purpose of who you are and and i think john just clearly knows that he has been sent to declare the messiah and i think by implication that's our goal yes I, I However, agree. you get to it, I don't know, but like Man. if there's this overwhelming purpose of saying I am God's servant, makes things a little easier, maybe. Sure, sure. I would think so. I think it takes the focus off off of self, right. you know. And and again, going back to our culture, we promote self, and we promote self centeredness and selfishness. Oh yeah. And this individualistic and John really took the focus off self and pointed to the Messiah. And maybe that's what we're called to do too, is we're to take the focus off us and who we are and say, look at Jesus, look at the savior. This is the way, Um, you know, but how you do that's that's difficult. John had an amazing amount of humility. He did. That's great. Understanding exactly what his purpose was. But that is difficult for us in our society to take the focus off of me, myself, and I and say, look, here's Christ. Yeah. Um, what a hard thing to do. But what a beautiful thing to do when you can get to that point and really understand that that's what you're, that's what our Again, our purpose is as a church is to prepare the way for, for Christ, that we're supposed to be the voice crying out in the wilderness saying, here's Jesus. Um, you know, what a beautiful thing happens when we can take the focus off of ourselves and share it with everybody else. 
Yeah, I think that's right. Um, anything else on that section? Uh, I really like the reflection question, which goes right along with, kind with of all of that. Yeah. yeah, about what we're talking about. Who are you? Um, how do you answer this question most often? Which is a great question to ask ourselves here in the study time is, you know, how, how do you answer this question most often? Um, are there any memorable stories about how you got your name? Do you begin with a disclaimer? What about when you ask someone else? How do you approach asking folks? And I will just say as a pastor, one of the first questions that I really tried not to do is because I recognized this right away that this was not the good thing to do. But one of the first questions every pastor asks when they find out you're a pastor is, how big is your church? Yeah, how big is your church? <laughs> yeah. You know, and I'm like, does it? doesn't matter how big your church is, but that's because same cultural pressures yeah. of, you know, you, you elevate yourself by having a large church. Well, don't ask that. Stop asking that question. I hate that question. <laughs> don't ever ask that. No, I, no, it's right. Because basically what we're doing, we're sizing people up, you know? Yeah. Um, that's what we do. And we're putting the focus back on the person instead of focusing on Christ and taking that focus back to the individual instead of Jesus. Yeah. Um, I think this carries along pretty good with the applying the scripture section in the sense of um, I'm going to skip first two paragraphs and just go on to the middle of the third paragraph. It says when mm -hmm. out of the middle, when John the Baptist enters, everyone is wondering what might happen. Note that he doesn't begin by lamb blasting the crowd with threats of hellfire. No, it takes him like two paragraphs to get to that. But anyway, right. he didn't even start with, do you know Jesus? In fact, he twice says, I myself do not know him. However, he testifies to what he has seen and told, what he was seen, what he has seen and been told. He saw the spirit descend on Jesus and remain upon him. He is a witness testifying to that which he has seen. And so I think all of this discussion that we're having, who we are, who Christ is, who John the Baptist was, the church is, it goes back to the sense of just an authentic testimony as a disciple of Christ, is that we are children of God, and we live then yeah. discovering what that means to be a child of God, discovering mm -hmm. our identity, and then just having an authentic testimony, like, mm -hmm. I don't know, that's, and John the Baptist is the stellar, the epitome thereof. Yeah. Um, it's amazing. Yeah, it is it's amazing. So, so who, so who are we? We are Maybe next time somebody asks, who are you? First thing you should say is, I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. <laughs> a, yeah. Yeah. And, and that's awesome. Um, so I'll bring up this discussion question, uh, maybe to, to end us a little bit today, because I think it's a really good discussion question. And I, I'm, I'm hoping that everybody in your, you, all your teachers or even preachers would, would ask or struggle with this. Who was the first person to tell you about Jesus? Easy hmm. enough. Pastor Maury Norman, who was the first person to tell you about Jesus? Oh, oh that's first not my mom was could, the first person to tell me. Okay. Yeah. I'll say probably the first person that I can really remember their name and face was my aunt. Gotcha. Who was the first person that you saw that exemplified Jesus to you? Also, mother. Hmm. Yeah, my mom. All right. Now, the fun questions. How comfortable are you talking about your faith? That is a fun question. Sometimes because, I'm comfortable, sometimes I'm not. Sure, yeah. And I think that goes back to our culture. Yeah. Um, again, because we have compartmentalized ourselves and it's okay to talk about your faith and it's okay to talk about Jesus while you're at church. But when we're not at church, how easy is it for people to share their faith? And I'm, I'm like you, sometimes it's easy and, and sometimes it's more difficult depending on the situation, the people that I'm around. Um, and how comfortable I am in, in the group setting. Is it okay to, to share my faith out loud or is, is it not? You know, I mean, that it depends on the situation. So then the next question, because I do have an answer to this. So, but anyway, have you ever missed a time that you regret not, or have you ever had a time where you regret not talking to someone about Jesus? Absolutely. Details. Absolutely. Um, I, I have missed moments with people when it was heavy on me to share my faith with someone and to pray for someone, but I was in an uneasy circumstance or I didn't know the other person. And so I was like 
you know, can I really talk to them about that? Because are they going to think I'm crazy and want to send me off to the psych ward somewhere? You know, I'm um, not going to offend them. Everything is focused yeah. on us or them and not on Christ. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. It's all about me and how uncomfortable I was feeling. And, and, and I have, I've walked out of stores where I knew there was somebody in there that I was supposed to pray for um, and, and didn't do it because I was embarrassed. I've thought a lot about this and now I'm just trying to make myself like, um, I'm just going to make, sometimes I just, I have to, for, I'm just, I'm like, Lord, I'm going to do this. And then I got to say to the four more times before I do it. Like if I have that feeling, no, there's times where like, you know, I'm not an evangelist at heart. Like it's not a gifting God gave me. And so like, it's not every time I lift up a rock, there's somebody I need to tell Jesus <laughs> about, but it does happen on occasion. And there, there were two times in about four years ago that it happened to me. And after the second time, I was like, you fraud. <laughs> yeah. Eh, yeah. You, with you. you feel, you feel that guilt of, of not sharing something with someone when you knew you should have. Yeah. yeah so I'm, I'm making it just like a, it's like a standard now. Like if, if I feel it, I'll just have to say, and I've said this uh, to people and just be like, okay, well, so I feel like I have to do this. All right. Jesus baby might be like, <laughs> anyway. Sure. Yeah. Um, and I will tell you the times that I listened and, and did what God asked me to do. It was always an amazing blessing. Um, I visit, unfortunately, I visit a lot of hospitals, um, which is not my favorite thing to do, but it's part of, part of what God's called me to do. So that's what you do. And I have been in situations um, I can think of one in particular, I was coming down the elevator and this woman standing in the elevator, I was with a, another friend of mine. We went to go visit somebody and this woman standing on the other side of the elevator from us. Um, you could tell she just had this whole countenance. She was really upset and God just really laid it on my heart that I was supposed to pray for. Her. And I'm just like, <laughs> I don't know her. She's going to think I'm crazy. But when we got out of the elevator, I walked up to her and I said, ma'am, I said, I know you don't know me and I don't know you, but I really feel like I'm supposed to pray for you right now. Are you okay with that? And she said, absolutely. And just, just, I have no idea. I have no idea what was going on, but just was absolutely in tears when we got done praying together. And, and that, and then I walked out, um, have no idea what her name was, nothing, but I know God touched her in, in a mighty and amazing way. Um, and so I try to always keep that little scene in the back of my mind when God says, Hey, go pray for that person. I'm like, I don't want to, <laughs> I'm out in the middle of public and I don't know these people. Um, but I just remember how much God touched that one person and, yeah. uh, remind myself that that's, that's my mission here is to point the way. Awesome sauce. All right. Anything else? If not, I'm going to let you send us off with a prayer and a blessing. Very good. Well, I don't have anything else. So let's, let's pray. Gracious, loving God, you are so amazing and just astonishing. Uh, help us as we go throughout this week to remember that we are here to point the way to you, that we need to be the voice crying out in the wilderness, sharing who you are with all that we meet. And help us to have the courage and wisdom to know what to say and when to say it. Father, we ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, then we will see you next week. Um, if you see this before Saturday, like if you're being a teacher and you're preparing in real advance, Merry Christmas. <laughs> we all don't right. see you till next week. We'll see you next week. Bye. Happy New Year. <laughs>